Well, Merry Christmas and happy birthday. You know, like uh, in elementary school, I was wondering if Jesus' mom was going to send cupcakes. She sent cookies, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, my name's Jason. It's good to be together today. And uh, as a family gathering on Christmas around the fireplace, I want us to hear the Christmas story, that birth story, uh, compiled between Matthew and Luke so that we get the, the whole thing. Just listen. Now this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. And at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all returned to their own towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. This makes me think of that old restaurant, the Village Inn. There was always room for you at the Village Inn. They had, they had good pie, didn't they? I digress. <laughs> I think the translator who used that phrase didn't have a Village Inn in their hometown. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, 
and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. He has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to heaven and the shepherds said to each other, Oh, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they ran to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and and there was the baby lying in the manger. And then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angel had told them and because they had seen the child just as the angel had said. So Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About this time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by this question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born? He asked them. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judah, you are not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men, asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. The history 
of God entering human history. You know, it's not just a fable or a once upon a time. It's a historical record of God's work and how it transforms who we are and how we are and whose we are. The last few weeks, if you've been with us during Advent, we've been focusing on the nativity, the scene that so many of us have depicted in our house. And I've so enjoyed some of you sharing uh, your favorite nativities and telling us a little bit of their story. I also collect nativities, mostly from my international travels. And so it's always fun to put them out as I remember the places and people uh, where I got them. But this year, I looked at those nativities through a different eye, Uh, my left one, no, Uh, I looked at them thinking, what does this remind me, what does this, what lesson is to be learned from the nativity? And so I have a few lessons of truth, I think, that I want us to remember this Christmas morning that come from that simple scene where Jesus was born. Uh, Now, a couple of the nativities I want to share with you, they aren't tangible. In other words, they're not ones that sit on the shelf at my house, but they are memories that live in my mind. Let me tell you first. So last week, Pastor James got all excited about Costco and his favorite bread from there. (laughs) Holy cow, did we hear enough about the stinking The stinking bread. Hey, move on. If he didn't bring it to share, then I don't give a rip. It's like people who say, I'm a really good cook. Well, I don't know that because you haven't provided any evidence. Well, my first nativity comes from Costco as well, so happens. You got to be careful when you buy a nativity at Costco because they try to give you two Jesuses. It's horrible. It's the twin pack. That was a joke, people. Keep up with me. (laughs) No, actually, this Costco nativity was a little different. Many years ago, I was uh, shopping at Costco, and they had their Christmas decor out. And they had this beautiful nativity set at that time. It was good size. Maybe some of you have it in your home, even. And uh, they had a display model of it set up, you know, as Costco does on the the shelf. Uh, But also, as Costco does, they... um, had just taken zip ties and strapped all the characters to the display board, you know, which is, which is fine. But as I looked more closely at this nativity, Jesus was missing. The manger was empty. And this wasn't like the Cruces tradition of hiding Jesus as some big surprise, because trust me, I checked the ice cream aisle, he wasn't there. <laughs> Jesus was missing more Accurately, Jesus had been stolen. I alerted the authorities. I put out an APB. Jesus had been abducted. Something was wrong with this nativity. But it actually makes me think that sometimes Jesus has been abducted from the nativity. You know, we can be quick to bemoan the commercialization of Christmas So then we go out and buy a button that says Jesus is the reason for the season. And we can be 
uh, quick to, to lament how Christ has been pushed out of our culture and our society. But I'm not just talking about prayer in schools and the posting the Ten Commandments. I want us to draw this lesson at a much more personal level. Has Jesus been abducted in your life? Or is the Christ child in that manger, is he a real, is he active, is he a transformative part of your life? Not just this morning, but all year. Costco may have been okay with Jesus being shoplifted. But I'm afraid that too often even we who are believers are okay with neglecting, with losing, with not paying attention to the transformative God who broke into human history to transform, to change, to guide us. And we can too easily just pay lip service or cultural identity. So check the nativity of your heart, I guess. Is Jesus there? Or do we get more caught up in, have I gathered all of the shepherd and the sheeps and the wise guys and the camels, etc., etc.? Now, the second nativity that teaches me a lesson, also not a physical one, this comes from when I was pastoring in Anchorage, Alaska. Before I got there and continued during my tenure, the church had a tradition of doing a living nativity where for three or four nights uh, in the weeks before Christmas, we would go outside in the snow and uh, stage a nativity for the neighbors and those who drove by. Somebody had even built a, a manger thing that we kept in the shed the rest of the year, and we'd set it up, and, and uh, there was this giant star that somebody had made out of lights, and, and uh, so it, it was a thing we were known for, I guess. And it was fun to do together. Well, in the days before Thanksgiving in 2006, oops, I got an email from PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And their email said what a horrible person in church we were for abusing animals in our living nativity. <laughs> well, clearly they've never been here. The only abuse that happens is to the people who have to go out there. We'd, we had a, she, a, a stuffed lamb and a camel puppet. That was the extent of our animals. <laughs> we were a small, low-budget church in Anchorage in the winter, okay? And their email went on about these horrible stories of Dominic the Christmas donkey who was killed at some church in Missouri. I don't know. These horrible things. They, were, they had like three churches in the whole country. They were lambasting, and we were one of them. I thought, well, this is doofy, so I deleted it. Well, the next day, a reporter from the Anchorage Daily News called. This wasn't just an email to me. It was a press release. And they said, Pastor, you have any comments? <laughs> and as I tend to be a bit glib, <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> and I said, I said, animals, we only abuse our children and wives by putting them out there. I mean, look at this. 
We got our snowsuits on covered with bathrobes and towels on our heads. This was not high-level production. But there was no animals. Trust me, it is a bit disturbing to see Mary with Sorel boots and giant mittens on holding Jesus, who was a plastic doll. And so I, I was kind of joking with the reporter. I thought, this is goofy-doofy. We'd never heard an animal. And trust me, when it's 20 below zero and snowing in Anchorage, there ain't even any flies out there to hurt. I said, it's bad. Oh, what happened here? Does it show that? Oh, it doesn't. Suddenly, Pastor James's online gambling site came up. <laughs> I think I just confirmed your bet. I'm not sure. So I hope that goes well. Um, well, so I blushed, brushed it off. Turns out Thanksgiving was a very slow news week that year. <laughs> this story went international. It was on every website, every news site. I got emails from around the globe. I had callers from producers from radio shows across the country with how PETA was maligning us and, and being mean-spirited because we don't hurt any animals. What I learned through this experience was it wasn't about me. It was about PETA. There's a certain group of people out there who just love to hate PETA. And so that's why this story became such big news. And uh, certainly, at least at that time, PETA as an organization kind of flourishes on sensationalism and shock value, and I can understand that. But even though we use no animals in our living nativity, didn't even get an apology note from PETA. I was hoping they would have written it in blood with, on a fur seal. No. No, I don't. <laughs> but to me, it was just kind of absurd that we were the focus of this international news story that was based on a mistake. But yet, in the midst of that, and how scandalous our alleged nativity was because of all the donkeys and camels that we were injuring, it reminded me that the message of the nativity is scandalous. This is not some sweet little scene. I mean, Lois, you worked in a nursery. My mom worked in postpartum. Most of us who have had kids or been present at the birth of the kids, there ain't nothing sweet and pleasant about this. It's messy. It's loud. It's painful. Thank you, brother. I was going to say painful, but I was afraid someone would say, you know nothing about it, but we'll blame you. I don't think it was a silent night. Somebody was screaming, and it was probably Joseph. <laughs> when my, I digress, but that's why you're here. When my first son was born, we were in the hospital. We'd been there 12 hours or whatever. And the nurse came in and said, oh, they're going to close the cafeteria. You better, here's a voucher, go down and get something so that when... Uh, my wife at the time had given birth. She'd have something available. So I went down there. I got her a sandwich, and there was still money on the voucher. And I, ever one to utilize value, I uh, got some French fries. 
for myself. But man, they give you a lot of French fries for $3 at, at Everett Hospital. So I went back to the room, and I just could not eat all those French fries. That was a lot of fries. So I wanted to get rid of them. I didn't want to stink the room up. So I went out in the hall, and I saw a garbage bag. So I put them in there. Turns out three hours later when she went into labor, that wasn't a garbage bag. It was the birthing crash cart with the biohazard bag that I put my French fries in. I thought it was funny. <laughs> oh, well, anyhow, uh, where were we? Oh, uh, the birth of Jesus was scandalous. And, and we need to live in that, that the God of all would choose because he loves his creation so much. He would choose to, to undignify himself so much as to break into the human history and, and endure all of the uh, gunk and junk of our lives become one of us, because he knew that would be the only path in which the right sacrifice could ultimately be paid so that his creation could be redeemed and live in right relationship with him again. That is a scandal that God would do that. And I hope we, we live with that, that God, would do this absurd thing because he loved you, he loved me so deeply. So I look at that picture and remember our funny little nativity. I mean, look, that one shepherd's wearing a poncho on their head. I mean, we, this was, we did our best and it was fun. But trust me, no animals were injured. Even the fur that kid is wearing is fully acrylic. We kept him away from the fire. <laughs> now, a couple more of my nativities uh, that I do have at home uh, teach me a lesson as well. The one that you see here was carved by hand. I got it in Malawi, Africa. Malawi is a, a small, one of the poorest countries in the world uh, in southern Africa. What I love about this uh, nativity is that the local artist who carved it carved what he knew. The people, by their facial expressions, are clearly Africans. Now contrast that with this nativity that was given to me when we lived in Alaska. This was hand carved by native Alaskan artists in soapstone. The people in the nativity our Alaskan natives, Eskimos. And I love the fact that there was a muskox at the manger. Now we know that neither of these extremes are the reality. But the artists have contextualized the story to their experience. I don't think Mary was wearing a parka. And I sure hope Joseph didn't have a harpoon. But what this does remind me of is that Jesus looks like all of us. What I mean is 
Scripture says God made people in His image. So God is not white or black or brown. God does not exclusively speak English or Mandarin or Chewa. All people are made in God's image. And so even we contextualize our nativities. I mean, look at this one where Jesus is day-glow white. Jesus, I hate to break it to you, was not blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Nor was he a nupiate. Nor was he stained glass. I'm pretty sure on that one. Pretty sure. But yet, it reminds us that the message of the nativity is for all of us. We are all made in God's image. And that the gospel is for all. I mean, that's why in John 3:16, God loved all people, the whole world, so much that he gave his one, his only son. We do not have an exclusive claim on the message of the nativity because of our skin color, because of our language, because of our geographic place of residence. This is a message for all, intended for all. Now, the next nativities in my set kind of contrast this or help to flesh that out a little bit because sometimes in my travels, when I visit countries that have very little Christian witness, it is hard to find a nativity. Many of these have been in Asia. So when I was in Singapore, no nativities to be had. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I got this little figurine. I don't know what it means in Singapore culture. Don't ruin the magic for me. But to me, it's a little baby who just happens to be riding a dragon. And just as my Alaska nativity has a muskox and a walrus in it, I think a Singapore nativity should have a dragon in it. But then when I was in China, no nativities to be had. So I found these figurines. Again, I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're supposed to represent. Don't ruin it for me. But to me, they look like the three wise guys who happen to come from Asia. And one of them's holding a baby. Because I bet when those three wise guys showed up, they got to hold the baby. You give the gifts, you hold the baby. Isn't that the way these shower things work? <laughs> so to me, these are the three wise guys from Asia. And they got the baby Jesus there, who looks remarkably like the same baby from Singapore. So at least I think we're on to something. I don't know. But what these nativities that I've had to adapt remind me is that while the story of the nativity may not be prevalent everywhere, Jesus is still present. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that a Buddha statue in China is another path to Christ. But what I am saying is that we know that because of what we just, lesson we just learned, that God loves all people and all people are made in his image, that Christ is at work wooing and winning and working to draw people to himself. 
regardless of how many churches are on the street corners, regardless of if that country's money says in God we trust, God is about drawing all people to himself. And these nativities remind me of the need for us to be messengers of God's truth. There is a Christian presence in China. It has to be underground because it's not politically acceptable. But those seeds were sown not only because of the Holy Spirit's preemptive work, but because people were willing to go to leave their home, their family, their comfortable culture, to go to a very foreign place and bear witness to Jesus Christ. And because of the sacrifices that people have made for literally decades, it is a growing movement of people coming to know truth and to be set free. And so it is elsewhere in the world. God is at work and he uses you and I in that process, maybe to physically go, or now with the resources available, lots of creative ways that we can see the story of the nativity made real in places where maybe nativities aren't real commonplace yet. Another lesson from a nativity that I have, look at this little tiny nativity. I know on the screen it looks big, but trust me, that little velvet shell that it's in is like this. And those little tiny figurines, oh, yeah. oh, no, don't look at that one, uh, are super tiny. So this nativity I got in Rome, Italy, at the catacombs. So the catacombs, as you may remember, are a series of underground tunnels that had been used as a cemetery. They would just dig out the side of the tunnel wall and put dead bodies in there. And in the early centuries, the Christian uh, group of Christians were meeting to worship in these catacombs because, well, kind of like in China today, they were not really favored by the political forces. So for their own safety, they were meeting in secret and worshiping. Did you know that in the catacomb gift shop, nativities are ridiculously expensive? Ridiculously. And so this little tiny nativity is all that my budget could afford. I think it's beautiful. I still love putting it out. I love being reminded of that place and where I was. So I am in no way indicting the marketing manager of the catacomb gift shop. But what it does remind me of, the lesson for us, is that I think sometimes we, the church, can make Christ unreachable to others. We can price them right out of the market, so to speak. What I mean by that is I wonder if sometimes we set the bar even higher than God does. Where we, and I'm not talking just the 50 of us in this room and those online, I'm talking we the church, we the guardians of God's kingdom on earth, do we make receiving God's grace even harder than God in, makes it? 
Because God's grace is precious, yes, and we think we need to protect it, but the reality is that God's grace is free and available to all. But I wonder if sometimes we think, oh, well, it's not for those people. And so we come up with our own additional set of rules, and people of faith are wonderful at this. Remember the Pharisees? Remember the holiness movement? Remember whatever, every generation. We try to be more holy than God. And so do we, do we price people out of the market of experiencing the message of the nativity? Well, I still shake my fist at the people at the catacomb gift shop. But they probably knew better because my suitcase didn't have much room. But I wonder if sometimes we don't make much room for people who really need the message of the nativity. This next nativity, it also is small but quite a bit larger than that little tiny catacomb one. Uh, this is from Colombia. What I love about this nativity is those are some kind of nut that grows in Colombia that some very talented person has carved into a nativity. What I also love about this is I think the animal on the right looks like a pig. And I think it'd be hilarious that a pig was at the birth of a Jew. <laughs> Just me. I don't know. Probably not a pig, but it looks like it to me. Yeah, even Jesus wanted bacon on his birthday. <laughs> but what I love about this is that this nativity is made out of a resource that is plentiful and virtually free. It's fallen off of trees. And somebody is clever enough to, uh, to carve those little nuts into this beautiful nativity. Reminding me that the truth of the nativity story is to be free and readily available for all. Unlike the catacomb gift shop we just talked about, I think maybe more that the nativity, I guess contextualize it for us here, is like pine cones or chestnuts. You know, it is plentiful and it is free, but yet it is incredibly valuable. It's a message that's worth everything, but God offers it to us for free. If only we will listen and respond and obey. So Columbia reminds me that the nativity story is free for all. And then maybe my favorite nativity of sorts. From my childhood... I guess I got a thing for small nativities because this one is this tall. And I got this as a kid, and I'm not sure, but I think I got it here. I don't know if at daycare they gave them to us or, or, or in the church service, you know, after I posed as a lamb, they gave me this as, to keep me silent. I don't know what it was. You, <laughs> you don't remember me being silent as a child? No, I <laughs> you know, it's intimidating when you're in a room with all your former Sunday school teachers. 
Well, actually, it's not, <laughs> but it's a blessing. But this little tiny plastic nativity, it's covered in glitter. You can't really see it well here. Uh, you know, probably uh, uh, costs very little. But to me, it's a favorite. Not only because it's been with me almost my whole life, but because of its simplicity. We don't need all the wise guys, the shepherds, the angels, all of the frou-frou to be reminded of the message of the nativity. It's simple, but it points to a profound story. And it reminds me, as do all of these nativities, to live that simple but profound reality in my life today and for the next 365. Where is Jesus? Is he missing or is he centered in my life? The scandal of what God did because of his love for us, for me, for all people. This free but priceless gift, this simple but profound message. Lessons from the Nativity. May it be transformative for me, for you. And let's thank God for that. Indeed, God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much. And you saw that the only solution to our rebellion would be for you to break in to our timeline as a human so that with real blood and with real tears and with real sweat, you could pay the penalty that was required under the law for our rebellion. Because only in so doing could we, in that moment and for eternity, be made right with you, that we could live in restored relationship with you. Not something we can do on our own. It required your intervention, and thank you for doing that. And so whatever nativity we have on our shelf or see at the store, may it remind us of the profound yet simple act of Jesus being born. May it remind us of the priceless gift that is offered to us, but yet which costs us nothing out of pocket, only a bending of our knee, a yielding of our heart to allow you to complete the transformative work in us. Thank you. And God, today we pray that throughout the world, amongst all people, even in places where today's not a holiday and they're not sitting down with family and friends for a feast, may they come to experience the Christ who is already at work in their place, in their language, amongst those people, wooing them to himself. 
we seek to live out this message and these lessons today and in the days ahead. It is with gratitude that we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.